Fangirl is a web series and podcast created by Temple of Geek. At the core of the project is the importance of telling the stories of women who have found inspiration, growth, and power through fandom. My name is Jenna Wren, and I'm the host of the Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. And today I have the pleasure of talking with voice actor Kaylee McKee. How are you, Kaylee? Hi, I'm doing great today. I hope you're doing good. Oh, I can't complain. I'm very happy to be talking with you today. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm very excited. Can you please just introduce yourself and tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm Kaylee McKee. I am a voice actor. Uh, you may know me as Yuta in Jujutsu Kaisen, um, Pina in Beastars, Testament in Guilty Gear Strive, Varden Dongrasp in Hearthstone, Kiku in One Piece, and many other things. Yes, you're everywhere these days, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't know about everywhere, but I'm very, very grateful for what I get to do. Um, yeah, I'm also an artist and writer. Uh, I'm a queer woman. I'm trans and uh, sapphic. So, yeah. Hello. Yes, it's great to have this representation. And that's really what we wanted to bring out with this idea of the podcast was that there are women of all different walks of life who have different experiences in fandom. And I think it's great to have a unique perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important. And, uh, you know, as much as I don't, um, I don't focus on it too hard, but I, I try to be the best representation for the queer community and for women that I can. The, the number of especially trans folks, but queer women in general that I could look at when I was younger and be like, it's okay to be how I am. Uh, it was basically zero. So I really want that to change. And I try to leave more space behind me than I take up moving forward. So there are a lot of misconceptions about what a fangirl is or isn't. And when people hear the terms, a lot of times it's taken in a negative connotation. What is your experience with being a fangirl and what does it mean to you? My experience with being a fangirl is for a while, it, it did feel a little stigmatized. Um, the sort of over-enthusiastic nature of, of being unapologetically like fangirly. Um, but... I I had a lot of friends who I was luckily able to be that with and the amount of joy that I found in that and to have other people to like jump up and down with uh was very formative and helpful for me as as a young person and I think I think that being a fangirl is a very good thing and and there's sort of like the the, the thing that has been being said a bit more often online of like, don't kill your cringe, kill the part of you that cringes, which I very much agree with. Like, if you're not hurting anybody and you're just like being happy and excited, then you should never feel bad for that. And uh, along the same lines, it reminds me of John Green, the author and YouTuber and, 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 and that he is, um, has a quote about, um, nerddom and geekdom that, that I feel very much applies to like being a fangirl. And it's that 
he said, nerds like us are allowed to be unironically enthusiastic about stuff, allowed to love stuff, jump up and down in your chair, can't control yourself, love it. And when people call people, you know, derogatory terms like nerd, fangirl, um, mostly what they're saying is you like stuff, which is not a good insult at all. And I just love that because um, it's true. So what's your fandom origin story? How did you begin this journey into becoming a fangirl? My origins way back in the beginning as a little kid um, would have been Pokemon and Digimon. Um, I loved the hell out of them and I dug so far into them. Like I learned everything I could. Um, I bought cards, games, um, VHS tapes. I begged like my mom's friends cause we didn't have cable for a long time. I would beg them to, to record them on VHS, like off of cable and, uh, give them to my mom and, they, it was very, I'm very grateful that they did that. And my dad also introduced me to anime very young because he was a fan since before I was born, like way back in the day. So that was really, I was lucky to have that. He showed me, um, when I was like five, six, he showed me, he showed me Trigun and Cowboy Bebop. I would say the first, like, really things that I, that I full on fangirled about would have been Pokemon, Digimon, Trigon, and Full Metal Alchemist. Those were, those were my first fandoms and where I realized like, oh my God, I love these. I want to share and talk about it with people. A lot of the things you mentioned are popular again they're seeing a resurgence with you know the trigon um reboot mm -hmm. and you know, we have all this new pokemon news that just dropped with the new games and everything coming out and uh do you find yourself kind of almost reliving that time of your youth when you had that fangirl energy i feel like i almost never left it um there was a few years between I want to say like 2012 and 2016 uh, that I watched a lot less anime. There wasn't nearly as much stuff that I was interested in coming out. And I, I, I was almost worried that I was starting to fall off of it. And luckily it coincided with me deciding to really pursue voiceover as a career. But starting around like 2017, just all of these cool shows started coming out that I was like, oh my God, this is, it definitely, it was a bit of a resurgence. I'm, I'm glad where it feels like, it feels like I never had to leave it. There was just a, there was just a short dip. Um, but yeah, stuff started coming out that, that was like Fire Force, like My Hero Academia, you know, Jujutsu Kaisen, um, which I was a fan of before I got cast, which was super cool. Uh, Dr. Stone, bunch of stuff like that, that I was just like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> right. It all kind of, you said it never, it didn't really go away, but it, it became more right. accessible maybe is what I'm looking for. Oh yeah, it definitely did. It's, it's funny. I'll, I'll talk about it more later, but, but there's a really interesting shift in geekdom that I've seen over the years that's um, has, it's been very interesting to watch. 
So what fandom are you most invested in? And has it changed over time? Or like you kind of touched on, it's kind of remained the same. Pokemon is a big one. Um, As far as like knowledge about different Pokemon, the games, moves, types, um, meta, stuff like that, I still get pretty invested and I love them a lot. I don't watch the anime anymore just because there's a lot of it, but I, I do think that it's very well produced, and I watch uh, a number of the miniseries. I would say one thing that has changed that started to really flourish more in high school is Dungeons & Dragons. I've played tabletop games my whole life, again, because of my dad. He introduced me to them. You know, uh, I, he probably was showing me tabletop stuff before I could even form memories. So it's always been a part of my life. Um, he took me to my first Gen Con when I was very little. It was a formative experience for me. But as time has gone on, I really specifically got into D&D. And when 5th edition came out, I started DMing more. I've been doing that for many, many years now. I am super invested in pretty much everything about it. I dive the wiki for the Forgotten Realms. I look into all every new book that comes out. I read through it. I try to be the best DM and player that I can be. I play in three campaigns. I DM one and some one-shots as well. So yeah, I would say it has added. It hasn't it's changed by growing, is what I'll say. Yeah, D- DMing to me, I think, is such a. It takes a certain person. You have to have a certain mindset to get all that together. Do you do you create your own campaigns when you DM, or do you pull them from you know the the fifth edition um, pre written ones? Modules are great, and I enjoy using modules. But um, I use them as a springboard to start a campaign or an arc. People who are solely like module-based DMs, I have actually so much respect for them because it takes so much memorization and organization to properly make a module as immersive as it should be, as it deserves to be takes so much work and so much memorization. Um, Whereas when it's homebrew, because you create it, at least to me, because I create it and write it in my notes, the act of writing it down, and this is, I believe, a proven memory phenomena, because of the act of writing it down, it makes it a lot easier for me to remember stuff that I create from my own brain. I do better making my own content. So... I run in my own world, in my own settings, um, with, you know, wholly original storylines. I occasionally bring in modules and change them to fit what I need as springboards, but I feel like I can be more effective by using stuff that I write. But, uh, you know, and that's kind of weird because... I almost feel like in the D&D community, there's this idea of, even if a lot of people won't say it, there's this underlying like 
thought that that people have of like, oh, it's not as cool or not as much work to run modules. Like that's the easier form of DMing. But to me, it's the opposite. I think if you're running modules, like, damn, that's a that's a lot of work, and it, it takes a certain kind of mind that I'm, you know, not as not as skilled with. My my DM, she actually came up with her. It's a little little side story. <laughs> she came up with the campaign we play, um, and I only played one campaign. She wrote a story, was writing a book, a fantasy book, and then said, I'm going to turn this into a campaign. And we've been playing it for three years now straight. And I think that's really, really cool to take something you create and turn it into yeah. something others can enjoy in a different format, a different medium. And really cool of her to open up that world and idea to – you know, sometimes when, when a world is your like brain baby, it's hard to let other people dictate parts of it, but D and D is collaborative by nature. And so it's really, it's, it's, I think it's very fun and liberating to come up with a world and then let other people steer it. Definitely takes a bit of ego death to allow, let that happen if if it was something you already were making something with, like if you were already writing a book in that world. But I think it's so rewarding and so fun to to let that happen and to create a world uh, that is a that is a setting. You know, you you've set the table and then to let other people uh, serve the meals. <laughs> What are you geeking out about now, and what should we know about? If uh, one one thing that you guys should look out for is, as far as what I'm geeking out about right now, is that Doctor Who will finally be accessible easily in the United States again come this fall, with not only Tennant coming back, not only Russell T. Davies coming back, but Shuti Gatwa as the new Doctor is phenomenal and looks amazing. I'm very excited to watch that. Um, I am the only one of my friends that still keeps up with Doctor Who. I was the first of my friends to get into Doctor Who. And I would love, I'm so excited for it to come to Disney Plus because I want to see Doctor Who become a, a fangirl fandom again. Me too. I'm so with you. It was one of my first fandoms as well, and I'm completely with you. Have you gone to the um, convention in February in um, LA, the Gallifrey One? I haven't. I really should. I really should. Yeah, I went this year, actually, for the first... I didn't even know about it until I made friends in California, and there were a lot of them were involved with Temple of Geek, and they're like, you gotta come for Galley. They're telling me, last summer. And I went this year and it was so fun. And as a fan, yeah, you have to go. Oh man, I should really go this February because it's probably going to be popping. Jodie Whittaker was there last year and it was, I saw her from a distance, which was super cool. (laughs) When did you first get into Doctor Who? Did you start with the reboot? Uh, I did. I started with the, the, um, the 2000s reboot. I was in junior high, I think. And I started watching... Eccleston right toward the end of his uh before Tennant came in and then I went back and watched the rest of it later and I loved it and I loved it enough that I went and watched a lot of classic since then I've just been like super into it it's really cool and it's it's a really fun fandom to be a part of because you have such a range in ages 
And I think that's really awesome. So thanks a lot to the internet, geekdom has become way more destigmatized and a part of popular culture. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you think fandom becoming more prevalent in pop culture has changed the way people who are geeks, fangirls are seen? So uh, this is what what I kind of wanted to dig into uh, that I was referencing earlier. I've noticed something very interesting throughout the span of my life about geekdom and about fandom. For a while, it was stigmatized. It was, you're a nerd. When I was in grade school, I was made fun of for liking Yu-Gi-Oh, for liking Pokemon, for liking what have you. But... I then went to, I was taken to Comic-Con and Gen Con, and I, I realized like, oh my God, this is like, this is culture. Like the, I, I love everything about this. I was sitting there like as a kid, just being like, I want to be a part of these people forever. And like, I don't get made fun of for like, there are so many people. Cause I grew up in a literal village of less than 300 people, Altona, Illinois. That's where I spent most of my life growing up. Little, little village near Galesburg. I didn't get to see a lot of other people that like liked stuff that I liked. I was super lucky to have a dad who would take me, you know, sometimes to his tabletop nights and then would sit me out in the living room where my uncle, he, he had this old projector TV and he would, he like, it like clasped out, came down and had these big three, like RGB spotlight nodes that projected onto a screen in this huge rack sound system, DVD player, VHS, all of that stuff. Super cool. And he had just shelves of anime and, and, uh, cartoons that I would watch or I would play like PS one, or Sega with the the uh, kid of another one of my dad's friends in the group. Her name is Belle. I luckily got to at least have Belle in my life and like my dad and his friends showing me that it was okay to like this stuff. But like in my day-to-day at school or whatever, it, I was made fun of all the time. So it was really cool to go to those conventions and to see that and to and to feel like it was okay. And then as I age, sorry, very roundabout to get here, as I aged, the internet allowed so many more of us to connect. My first really big place that that happened was when I played World of Warcraft. I was able to join guilds and talk to other people about geeky stuff. And, the, you know, people were able to find these communities and not feel so alone as more people adopted the internet, as more people adopted video gaming because video games were kind of the new toys for kids for a while we aged and were able to form these communities and realize that you don't have to give up these things that you like and that you can that that things like this can be made for adults and i i do think world of warcraft did a lot for that because adults and children played that game And it was massive, like the first massive MMO that so many people came together and met in that really like changed the landscape of like gaming community as far as I saw as a kid anyway. Then Tumblr and forums and YouTube and Facebook groups and 
Reddit and then like video games evolving and, you know, you really get into video games as not just for kids, not just for geeks. Even even the jocks could play Magic and Call of Duty. It culminated in this thing where geekdom became an identity that people were embracing and everybody was was like leaning into being as geeky as possible by the time I was in high school. It was like the cool thing to be was was a geek. And it was very interesting how how much people like leaned in and just boomed overzealously about it. And I, I think it was like that first sort of swing back of it being so stigmatized for so long, right? It swung back so hard where like the new coolest thing to, to do is to, you know, gush about the newest Star Wars and Marvel superhero film, no matter who you are in the world, no matter how like, you know, much of maybe you bullied geeks when you were in you know, junior high or high school, it became this, this thing where like you were identifying full on as a geek and making everything about like, you are a nerd. And then the, the interesting thing I've noticed that I, that I was trying to get to through that whole story is that people don't have to scream. I'm a geek anymore since about, about 2015, 2016, I would say 2016, it started to sort of equalize, right? It was like, had been mainstream long enough that now I almost feel like it's expected that everyone has some fandom. It's what people will dig up in like a thousand years and be like, oh, this was their culture. This was like, it's called pop culture, because it has, because it's the popular culture and especially recently it's been so nice to see that it doesn't have to be corporate media so many independent games and shows and animations and novels and comics have be, have blown up and just become part of like everybody's heard of it type stuff and this is all because of the the interconnected world, the, the, the shrunken geography of the internet. So I'm very sorry for rambling for like a half hour. Please don't uh, be sorry. This is what, this is what I want to (laughs) hear. I went through those phases as well of like, especially as a, as a professional, I'm just part of the cultural engine, right? That's what I'm doing as a career is I'm just a piece, a small piece of you know, this, this generation of connectivity, of fandom, of fiction, and the enjoyment of storytelling and the art of storytelling, being able to become one of the most important things in our society again, as it has been throughout all of history. But I think that took a dip for a while, at least in Western culture, because of industrialization and capitalism. So speaking of professionalism, I wanted to discuss what it means to be a fangirl in a professional setting. Sometimes as professionals, we really do downplay that geeky side or how passionate you are about something. Uh, Because like leading into what you just had said, you are expected almost to be 
that professional person. So we don't always show the things that we love for fear of being looked at as just a fangirl. Is that something you've ever come across? Um, it's definitely something that I've had in my mind. You know, it, it, it's it's trying to find the line between being professional and making sure you're there to do your job and get it done and being, you know, unabashedly in love with what you're doing and super excited about it. Uh, but you know, the more and more I do it, the more I realize that at this point in the game, every single one of us doing this, except the execs at the top, are fans. The director, the engineer, the writer, myself, we are all fans. So I have realized that gushing about this work that we're doing is never a bad thing. As long as you can do the work and work collaboratively and consider everybody's time, um, the first part of most sessions I have is just talking about the, the cool stuff that we've been enjoying lately or geeking out about the thing we're literally there to do. I will say, when I was cast in Adventure Time, Fiona and Cake, in those sessions, I dropped knowledge and like they could tell clearly I knew all of this lore and like knew this world, but I never geeked out too hard about it because because I didn't want to be seen as unprofessional. But when I was told that I got cast in it, my my agent called me and he was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" and I'm like, "I'm driving. You're on you're in my car speaker." And he said, "Okay, you should probably pull over." And then he he told me and I was shaking so bad and like squealing, like full like fangirl squeeing. I was like, "Oh my god. My audition, I had actually improved some lore references to like show them that I knew everything about this world and they cast me. And so I shouldn't have been as afraid as I was because like I've talked to Adam Muto, the executive producer about, about it now and like how much I love this world and how much it means to me. But like, I was still so scared about like seeming like just a fangirl who didn't belong there uh, because I wasn't professional, but I really think that it would have been okay for me to share more of my love of this show with them. But, but I know that that love has come out in my work. So I'm so excited for people to see it at the end of the month. Right. It makes it even more special because you're such a fan yourself that it's not yeah. just another job. You know, it's not just to you doing your nine to five kind of thing. Absolutely. I feel like the reason that it's hard to kind of almost grasp that you can love something that you're doing so much is because there's this expectation that you're not gonna gonna like your job, but you're gonna do it anyway. I think finding something, finding a job that brings you joy is almost something you weren't expecting, you know? Yeah, no, I, my whole life, I knew I'm either going to get a job in making cartoons and video games, or I'm going to die starving. Like I knew that from when I was a kid. And so I'm so grateful that I get to do that. But it's, it's very much something that's like with how much, how industrialized and how mechanized our world is more and more that frees up people to 
take jobs in creative spheres. I, I look forward to a world where less and less people have to do jobs they hate and can instead stream on Twitch, code video games, do commissions, and um, have a booth at conventions. Uh, the more and more people can have creative jobs that are a part of expressing the human condition and experience and imagination and storytelling, the better the world will be. It is very cool. And it's cool to see to see more and more people making their careers in creative arts. So like you said, you are a fan of many things. And you mentioned before that you were a fan of Jujutsu Kaisen before you even got cast. How do you blend your fandom side and your professional side? It's a very interesting question. I try to exist as both simultaneously. And I try to show them, um, especially you know now after a while, realizing that that's okay. I was never somebody who like too much was commenting all the time or making theory videos or writing fanfics. I've always been a very internal consumer of these things, enjoyer of entertainment. Uh, I talk about things the most with other fans in person. So like at conventions is really where I show the most of my fanness by going up and like just talking to people about their cosplays, talking to people at their booths, enjoying the things that I see, going to panels. I feel like I kind of enjoy that like in this as as somebody who's like, you know, I, I can go to the Crunchyroll or like JJK or like Guilty Gear Strive like booths and enjoy it as a fan and see people enjoying it without like making myself the center of attention. I kind of strive to be similar to how Adam Savage does conventions in that way, where I am a little bit stepped back. I'm not like throwing myself fully in there because I don't want to, I want to let the people who already like I get to do this every day the people who have paid 300 bucks just for a ticket to be here they this is their time right so I give them that space and then online I've never like I've always been a bit more of a lurker I watch videos I read threads I read forum threads I read theories and then I talk about those with my friends so really my behavior in that hasn't changed that much. I just see what other people are doing. And now I have the added layer of like, sometimes I will comment with knowledge that I have as an expert in what's happening to give people information they're wondering about stuff that I am allowed to, you know, based on NDA. And I can help add to conversations that way I feel like more than I could before, honestly, as a just a fan. So it hasn't changed that much, but I give more space when I can to the fans, and I add more because I have new new perspectives. Right. So you're taking a little bit of your fandom side and your professional side and kind of blending them together. Right. Do you have any pro tips for people looking to work in the industry that they're big fans of? I'll do a do and a don't. Do take your love and excitement and enjoyment of all of this 
and use it as fuel to hone your skill and hone your craft to become somebody that can be a part of making this as a second breath. It it isn't a thing where people are going to just like bring you in and teach you how to do this just because you love this thing so much and you can recite the wiki. Use that love as fuel so that you can show them your skills. You want to be skilled enough where they look at your portfolio, your demo, the work you've done, your CV, and have the thought, you want them to have the thought, this person should already be working for us. That's how I got my agency. That's how I've gotten cast in a few things. You want them to basically look at your stuff and be like, they're already on the team. Like, I don't even know why they're showing me this. That I, I talked to them at the, the water cooler yesterday. Like, you want to... You want to use your love and your fandom to become somebody who is skilled enough and is professional enough that you simply slot in. And a don't that I would say is in the same vein, be a fangirl, but don't don't flip out and get like too wobbly need and starstruck when you get in the booth for the first time, when you meet you know, the, the voice actor that you've looked up to for years, you want to respect them enough to see that they are part of the same team that you are. Well, Kaylee, I think that really wraps us up for today. Again, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. I really appreciate it. This is going to wrap up this episode of the Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. We want to thank our guest, Kaylee McKee, and everyone who tuned in today. If you have any questions or comments, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at Portrait of a Fangirl. You can also find us across all social media and on YouTube as at Temple of Geek. If you'd like to check out any other episodes or shows, please visit templeofgeek.com. 